Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, Felipe Agredano talks to Abel Alvarado about writing Arena, a house musical, inspired by his own experiences growing up gay in a devout apostolic family in Los Angeles. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to HTI Open Plaza Podcast. I'm your host today, Felipe Agredano, faculty in Chicano Chicano Studies and Political Science at East Los Angeles College. Uh, and I, today we're here with playwright Abel Alvarado. We're going to talk about Abel Alvarado's Arena House Musical and also coming out as gay apostolic Pentecostal. So welcome. And uh, Abel, would you like to uh, introduce yourself? Hi, um, everybody. My name is Abel Alvarado. I am a musical theater book writer and lyricist. I am a uh, professional costume designer and a theatrical producer. And I wrote a um, new musical uh, titled Arena, a house musical. And I know we're going to get into it a little bit, but just a, a snippet. It is a story of a young Pentecostal apostolic a uh, young man who's a music minister at his parents' church, but he also is a gay la Latino man, and those two worlds collide. So why don't we start at uh, how this uh, work is autobiographical, any background into the making uh, of Arena, Arena House Musical, what is your story and what is the story of the, the production, but also uh, your life experience coming to this point? Um, <clears throat> I guess I, I could start like David Copperfield and say I was born, I was born into it. Um, I was born into this life. Uh, but specifically, this musical uh, was basically um, as an, as an art form was about five years in the making, but as um, the autobiographical, the loosely autobiographical parts in the show were, were my lifetime and the, the lifetime and journey of many other people that I, that I knew that, and know. Um, did the premise of the story is, you know, that this character, Lucio Torres, his unwavering want is that you know, he wants to uh, be accepted. He wants his parents who are the pastors at his church to accept him. He wants, you know, the church to accept him. He wants uh, the world to accept him as who he is. Uh, but what he discovers uh, is that he does want acceptance, but the acceptance he really wants is accepting himself accepting who he is and, and going through life's journey, uh, being that. And that is what he learns throughout the, 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 the arc of this story. And which is, I guess, in, in essence, that's the autobiographical part where I had to uh, learn that. And it was, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. I've been out for over 25 years at this point, uh, having grown up 
a third generation apostolic of the faith in Christ Jesus uh, member baptized into the body at 11 years old by water and by speaking in tongues. Uh, I was brought into the fold and after having been born under the pews, as they say. And um, from early on, I, um, I always had artistic abilities as a musician, as I, I was very influenced, even though it was discouraged, I was very influenced by popular culture and by the music of popular culture. Um, I think an early sign for my family that I could be gay is probably um, I, in the 1980s, as a young little boy, I was obsessed with Madonna, <laughs> even though I was an apostolic. Um, and um, it just, my, my life in the church evolved into ministry, into the music ministry, natural, it was a natural progression of my life to where I became a choir director of a, of a pretty well-known choir at the time and was struggling with the internal struggle of feeling like a liar because I knew I was gay. So Abel, tell us how one grows up apostolic, gay, Pentecostal with artistic abilities and motivations by Madonna. How do you blend all of these identities, all these experiences? Well, unfortunately, <clears throat> the particular churches I grew up in were not so staunch and conservative, meaning by, by, by liberal standards, yes, they were conservative. Women wore dresses and skirts. Um, you know, we didn't wear shorts. We didn't wear quote unquote revealing clothing. Um, at least, you know, a lot of these things are applied to the women, of course. Um, and so, but I was fortunate, I think, to have grown up in churches that were a little more um, open and sensitive, meaning there were churches that I would visit and that I knew that were extremely uh, conservative where, you know, I knew, knew of churches where men had to always wear long sleeves and so did women you could never show your neck your wrist and you know where certain and men only wore three three colors brown gray or black and i i you know the absolute from that extreme all the way to churches that were extremely quote-unquote liberal where the women could cut their hair and had the latest you know hairstyles wore a little bit more fashionable clothing some people even dared to wear a wedding band, which was, you know, and, and women didn't wear shorts, but they wore culottes. <laughs> and so the churches ran the gamut and all of that. And the one, the churches I attended were uh, somewhere towards the more quote unquote liberal leaning. And so that was great. And I grew up in churches that really celebrated uh, the music ministry. And that was how I, early on, found my artistic outlet. So you found an outlet, you found your voice, you found a way to develop your artistry within the music, within the confines of a Pentecostal apostolic experience. 
how was that and how did that lead you to arena house musical so interestingly enough um i was also i i was drawn by by music in general but my my love of music was was black gospel music of the 80s and 90s it Amen. Just, it really resonated we sang a lot of that in church uh, all of our choir songs were based on that those songs and when i started directing choirs in the late 1980s early 1990s there was a big black gospel explosion experience happening that was becoming very commercial and it was it became um almost and it coincides you know in writing this musical you know when i look at it it coincides with the explosion of house music um the house music started happening in the mid to late 1980s and in the 90s it really grounded itself as club music and you know this new gospel music that i'm talking about with artists like hezekiah walker olanda draper uh, Ricky Dillard, these were all big uh, gospel names that um, had an edgier sound and feel to them. They had a, a more uh, contemporary and I would say urban funk to them that, you know, had been explored before in, in gospel music with, with the legends of Walter Hawkins and Milton Brunson and even Aretha Franklin, you know, and James Cleveland. So these and and the Reverend Shirley Caesar, right? All of these, but the way the music evolved, it had a a stronger beat. It had a more um, danceable feel to it than than gospel music had had in prior years. And I find it interesting that house music is emerging around the same time that this new gospel music is emerging. And of course, these two great genres of music at some point were going to meet, and they did. And for me, they met on the dance floor of the first gay club I ever went to, which was the Arena uh, Nightclub in Hollywood, California. Uh, and the first time I walked in there, I must have been about 19 years old. I had snuck away from church on a Friday night. I had been hearing about this place in Hollywood. I lived in Baldwin Park, California. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was hearing about this new club that was opening and people, the buzz was about it all, all around high school. And, um, but everyone was saying, but it's a gay club, but you know, it was 1990, so like, you know, Madonna's Vogue was was really big that year, and you know Janet Jackson was making her her big debuts with you know a lot of dancing that was very um, that can be deemed as homoerotic, I guess. And you know these um, and also uh, the AIDS epidemic was really um, bringing the gay community to the forefront of media with groups such as ACT UP. Um, with Larry Kramer protesting in the streets to get people to recognize that there was an epidemic, a pandemic happening, and it was mainly affecting gay men. And no one wanted to talk about it, but these gay men were shouting, they were closing down the CDC, they were having die-ins in front of the White House. So gay culture was being um, 
seen in the media in a way it had never been seen before, right? So there was, especially for young people, there was this awareness of, of, of gay friends, of gay fashion, of gay music. And a lot of that music was house music that was happening in clubs like the arena. So when I finally made my track, the 25 mile track from Baldwin Park, California to San Gabriel Valley, all the way to Hollywood, California, down the 101 freeway and walked into that place for the first time. I remember the first experience that I had was this is a spiritual experience as valid and as tangible as a spiritual experience that I have felt on the altar at church during worship and praise. And what tied them both together was the music. It was the house music with its driving beat and, and its very inspirational lyrics that said, you know, love yourself or whatever it was saying, you know, um, somebody say love, somebody say love, you know, those themes of love and loving yourself and, and feeling each other are themes that were explored in gospel music. So I immediately connected the two. Let's connect the two and let's talk about how you mentioned uh, the, the gospel greats, black gospel and the inspiration has served as an underlying theme uh, for your artistic development. But let's all talk, let's talk about what was going on as well uh, within the gospel greats. Uh, there, there was also Sylvester. There were also other composers. Uh, there were writers, thinkers, James Baldwin, um, uh, Reverend James Cleveland, uh, and a lot of, mm -hmm. of incredible artists who also were gay and who were also were confronted with uh, another epidemic, uh, the AIDS epidemic, another virus that, that killed, uh, devastated many not only in, in the Latino church, specifically the black churches were devastated by another virus. How did these two worlds of gospel greets, the uh, AIDS epidemic, uh, being gay and people of color meet together? And how does that influence your work, Arena House Musical? I had an amazing mentor uh, at, from growing up as a child all the way up until my early 20s, which was my pastor's son, um, Rick Rodriguez. And he was one of the most, had one of the most incredible voices I have ever heard. To this day, I, I every now and then I think to myself, geez, I wish Rick was here just to hear him sing one more time. And Rick uh, was a, a very, big fan of the of the early gospel greats like Walter Hawkins because Rick had grown up in the Bay Area and he used to take those Hawkins songs and sing them and just really internalize them and you felt when Rick sang these songs. Uh, Rick was my choir director. He was my first choir director that I worked under. He mentored me in that process early on Unfortunately, it was during that time also that this was the late 1980s, early 1990s, that Rick was also battling AIDS, which we didn't really know. We just knew he was sick. It was a time when people didn't talk about things like that, especially not in the church. And it, I had a firsthand experience with him 
also with our church organist, Mike, and also with my cousin, Johnny. These three, and Johnny was also a singer. He had sang in the church choir. Mike was a church organist and pianist, and Rick was the, her church songbird, right? And these three young men, because they were young at the time, my, my cousin Johnny was just 29. Um, they were all, had been born and raised apostolic. Um, my cousin, like me, was third generation apostolic. He was about 10 years older than me. And so I got to see the some of the ugliness that was being preached from the pulpit about AIDS and how it was a punishment from God. But I also got to see the love and compassion that people were having in the church once they found out that someone they knew had AIDS. So th this was the world that I was navigating through as a young man when when I first started hearing about AIDS and, and, and I was just a young kid in about 1984 was the first time that, that it, you know, came through the, um, the, the media circles of the time, which was the, the news outlets. Uh, I knew at that moment, I already knew I was gay. I had learned what gay was early on in life um, because I was called that a lot. I was teased that a lot. And I remember at a very young age in church being told by a little boy, a friend of mine, that he couldn't play with me anymore because his mom said that I was gay. And I said, well, what does that mean? I, I, I don't know what that is, but I don't think I'm that. And he said, I don't know. I think it means you want to be a girl. And I was like, I don't want to be a girl. Like, No, I don't. And he was like, oh, but we're still friends. Just We just can't play anymore. And my, my grandmother caught wind of that and she went and had a scolding with that hermana from church. Amen. And told her, and told her you know, how dare you? How dare, he's a child. Why would you say anything like that, first of all? And why would you break up his friendship with your son? And so those are examples of early on where I was seeing. And then, you know, in school, you start learning what gay is. And I was called that a lot. And after a while, I was like, so what? So what if I like wearing you know, shirts with ruffles on them. <laughs> so what if I like wearing leg warmers, you know? And then I had great cousins who were like, oh yes, wear my leg warmers, right? <laughs> so it, it was, um, those early things informed me and, you know, but yet I didn't think there were gay people in church. I, I didn't, um, I couldn't fathom it as because it was something that Although at my church wasn't heavily preached on, I heard other people talk about it. And especially with AIDS, I started hearing, oh, it's a punishment from God. It's, you know. And a very early conversation I had with my other cousin who was 12 years old at the time, and I was 11, and of course he knew everything because he was 12, was I said, you know, you know, I heard that it's a punishment from God, but, you know, from what I can see, it, it's only men that are getting it. And my cousin's response was like, oh, well, I think maybe because God thinks uh, gay men are grosser than lesbians. <laughs> and I just, that's when I was like, okay, I am gay because I like boys in the way that you like girls. But I don't see God thinking that that's gross in any kind of way in my young mind. But yet I knew that that was something I had to keep to myself. And 
because no one you know, was saying, oh, I'm gay, and there was a great response to it. So again, growing up in the music ministry, you start seeing uh, people who are, again, like any artists, artists, we have this feeling that, and, and, and I, someone told me it's because we've been entrusted with the divine to be, to, to give beauty to people, to give hope to people, to give all of the, the things that humanity needs to love themselves and to see themselves. So I think it, being around musicians, being around singers, being around artists in the church, you find more compassionate people. And especially if you're good at it, they really prop you up, right? Because it's good for the church. And you know what's good for the church is good in those offering baskets. And so as I often say, as my, um, as my star was rising in this ministry, I saw my dear friend who I looked on as an uncle of Rick Rodriguez, I saw his star setting. Mm. And I always felt that in some way, some form, he was passing on his ministry to me. Um, and in, in 1993, we lost Rick, we lost Mike, and we lost my cousin Johnny. And these were all three apostolic men uh, who, like I said, grew up in the apostolic church. And it informed my life at that moment. <clears throat> I was directing, I was a choir director at that point. My choir was, was making the rounds in, in, in the... Um, singing circuit of, of the apostolic church and my ministry was rising. Um, but I also knew that at that point I was going through a very closeted relationship. And it was, you know, it was young love. And it just really, I started seeing how I was in love, but I wasn't able to express it. I wasn't able to say it. I wasn't able to say, I have a relationship with this young man because it, that, was a, that was a bridge no one was crossing. Uh, and it, 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 a relationship like that is, of course it's young love and you know, it's, it's doomed from the get-go. And um, when that ended, it really, and it ended around that same time too. It really devastated me. And, but what it did was as any artist, you take the hurt and you take the pain and you start putting it into your passion, into your art. And my choir directing skills were growing. I, I was in school at the time as a vocal instruction major and I really dedicated myself to that and um, <clears throat> becoming classically trained and, and learning the, the ins and outs of music theory and, 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 and note reading and sight reading, and which really elevated my artistry in the church. And it really elevated how I, as a choir director, um, taught music, how I uh, directed a choir, how I vocally instructed people. And it was also during that time that and this was the mid nineties where, and it was during that time that I walked into arena for the first time. 
and I saw gay culture at its, you know, at its wildest in this place. And I, but I definitely felt something moving inside of me that said, you know, there is no turning back from this. This is who you are. And it still took me a couple of years to finally come out. And what really motivated me to come out was that, um, of course, the rumors were spreading around. I had been described as too artistic, literally with these, <laughs> by a certain minister and, um, but ministers were not having it. They were like, don't, you can't talk like that about the, that young man. He is blessed and, you know, he is a psalmist. He is a, he has a ministry in music. So I did have that, which was great because a lot of people don't have that in church. But I had people who were protecting me, especially my pastor, having gone through having a gay son. And, and I, I was very blessed and fortunate with that. But as in my play, um, the character or myself, I came to an impasse. I came to a crossing point as a young 24 year old young man where I, I knew that if I stayed, I was gonna forever have to hide my love. If I fell in love again, if I, you know, and I saw other people in the church that had done that and I just didn't want that for myself. And I discovered there was this other world, which was the world. And in this world, there were gay people living and celebrating their life, living outside of fear, living under absolute no condemnation. And I said, that's who I need to be. So tell us about um, how an artist, and we see plenty of art in the church and its architecture and its draperies and its uh, clothing, the aesthetics, the, uh, the head covering specifically in the Apostolic Church. Uh, there's a lot of art design, um, but also talk about uh, the darkness and the fear of the HIV epidemic and also the darkness and the fear in the Apostolic Church or the church and how that prompted you to come into, into the light, into a, a place that would nurture your art and that would also celebrate uh, what it meant to be proud, to be living outside of fear and to be living openly and how, how that is manifest in an arena house musical. So I think, you know, in, in the church itself is, is a very artistic place, like you said. It, um, and I Amen. think that is, and I think that is because of what an artist told me is that artists are the vessels used again to to deliver to the world what the divine wants to say, uh, whether it's through a painting, whether it's through poetry, whether it's a musical, whether it's a play, even a film. You know, all of these things cause humanity. Not all of them. I mean, some of them. You know, I don't know if you if. But even still, you know, um, if you can take WAP by uh, um, these young artists, you know, uh, Wet and Women, right? Cardi B. Cardi B. But yeah. even that, 
it is is uh, you know an artist you know empowering women to you know talk about sex you know which is something that you know in in a misogynistic culture we don't do and and going back to the greats like like madonna she was doing that from the get-go you know she was talking about you know feeling like a virgin feeling renewed again at a time and it scandalized people right but she was giving women the agency to say hey i can talk about my body i could talk about my feelings and it empowered an entire generation all the way through the 90s you know in in 1992 when madonna released the erotica album with all the religious iconography still happening but under a very heavy sexual tone in the middle of an AIDS epidemic that was being passed around through the act of sex. And she was still saying, don't be afraid of sex. You can still have sex. You can have safe sex. You can, you can do and, uh, and, and have this pleasurable experience in a safe way. Um, so yes, artists do deliver that. Um, in, in the church, I think the artistry is used to, to glorify God. Um, there is songs are very carefully crafted by lyricists to really talk about the God experience. And every time um, it's talking about the human experience, it tends to be about hurt and pain. Um, and you know, and how the God experience can heal that hurt and pain, you know, and, and I always felt that a lot of those songs in the church are just very um, sappy. And, you know, there's a lot of crying that happens in church. And, you know, if you cry because this song, you know, touches you and every time you hear it, but about the hurt and the pain, are you ever going to move on past the hurt and the pain? You know, and I think that's where where uh, a Christian artist or or a a a um, a religious artist um, and and I see that changing also. Um, it's taken a long time um, where where it it tends to fail the the humans the human experience of 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 being also able to say I I'm going through something. And I don't understand it, but I have you, my friend here next to me that I can hold your hand. Thank you for that. We, it's, it's hard for, for especially in, in lyrics in church um, to, to talk about the connection between humans. It's always a connection with God. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, before the Renaissance or, or you know, all of this art that was commissioned by the church, it, it's always, a, a God experience that that Da Vinci or whoever Michelangelo they they had to have these religious tones right um, same thing in 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 modern uh, I guess church art um, songs music but I think that's where that's where it's that's where it becomes hard as an artist when you want to express even more that's outside the realms of just talking about the God experience. That's where it becomes hard. And, and eventually a lot of artists do leave the church because of that. Not just because they're gay, not all of them are gay, but because they as artists 
as artists, you're always growing. You're always looking for the next thing that's going to elevate your artistry to the next level. And you can only write so many lyrics about the love of God, right? Um, when, you know, when you have lyrics inside of you about the love you have for your boyfriend, for your girlfriend, for the, the things you love to do to, to celebrate your life, to celebrate life, to celebrate sexuality, to celebrate sex. You know, that's what artists do. And, and if artists are going to do that. They have to move out of the confines of the church. And that's basically what, what I did. You make me think of uh, uh, the gospel greats and giants. Uh, the Hawkins tell, tells us um, going up the yonder. And they also tell us, oh, happy day as they're taking us to a new celebration of art of God and, and uh, religion and, and arte and music. How does the arena celebrate all of that? Uh, art, music, prayers, religion, uh, sexuality, and, and, uh, and love. So um, Arena House Musical is literally my love letter to my friends and this beautiful city that I love of Los Angeles, right? Um, because to be a gay Latino in LA is a very unique experience. Um, you know, here in, in Los Angeles, I mean, just the name alone, right? Los Angeles, you're already celebrating a language that is quote unquote foreign to this country, but yet it's here. And every time you say it, you're saying, you know, Los Angeles is just as American as Seattle. It's just as American as New York. It's just as American as Houston, you know, and, and it's a Spanish word because Espanol is part of the fabric of this country. So, you know, I think that's why Los Angeles, LA has always been such this progressive, great city. And it's driven a lot, I say, by, by Latinidad, by Chicanidad. It really is. Which is why um, when I see the entertainment industry um, in this country, where especially in this city, where Latinos, Mexicanos, Chicanos are the majority in this city, where all of this entertainment and this entertainment capital and all of this money is being made in these studios and these theaters and these places. And yet Latinos are the least represented in this industry. Um, it just really, again, as an artist, informs me that I have to do something about it. I can't just sit around waiting for somebody to do it. I have to do it. I have to write the story. I have to write the song and I have to find the producer. I have to find if we want our, our stories, our art, our unique perspectives to be seen. Um, and again, life and the divine has blessed me with great mentors and great friends who also see life that way. And, you know, Felipe Agredano being one of them, being that he's a producer of, of theater and has, has and is award, an award-winning producer. And uh, along with uh, other people that have helped and, and influenced. Um, but all of that, um, I think in this musical, again, a genre that I always have felt you know, recently we, we've had In the Heights, um, which is 
probably the closest thing to Latinidad that I've ever seen on, on a musical theater stage where Latinidad is so celebrated. Um, but it, it's very East Coast, doesn't resound as clearly here on the West Coast. Um, so in writing Arena House Musical, I was telling the story of, a, of, of what it's like to, to grow up in this city, what it's like to have legendary uh, places like Circus Disco, which opened in 1974, and Arena in 1990, that really informed generations of people of what gayness is, of what gay Latinos, who we are, <clears throat> in big, great ways. And, and how it even informed my life as, a, as an apostolic, a third generation apostolic music minister, choir director, how going into these spaces uh, really allowed me to have the freedom to be who I am. Because the freedom that I felt within those walls, within those confines, when I would walk in there, and you know, we would, we would have a full lived experiences at Arena uh, where we would walk in, fall in love, make out, break up, all in the span <laughs> of five hours because we had to get it all out because we couldn't come back until next week. But after a while, those experiences did start influencing me, how I navigated through the world outside of the walls of that club, the people that I met, the, the rising stars that I saw, the people who were living out their true selves on the streets of LA, on the streets of East LA, on the streets of, of the San Gabriel Valley. And it started influencing my life. It started giving me that, if you will, spiritual feeding to be who I am, to live in my true authentic self, to not have shame about it. You know, I hear people say, oh, wow, why do you need gay pride? And I say, well, it's not really that I, I have gay pride. It's just that I have no gay shame. I, I no longer live under that cloak of condemnation, you know, to, to speak in a more, in a more um, religious tone. You know, I, that is not a cross that I bear because being gay is not a cross. It's not a thorn in my side. It is who I am. And I am divinely created to be this person. Amen. Preach. So it's those things that drove me to tell this story about arena and people that I met. And of course, you know, everything put on stage or in, in a film, it's, if it's not a documentary, it's stylized, it's fictionalized, it's enhanced, it's, you know, to, to create a better drama. But there's a lot of me in that story. There's a lot of Felipe in that story. There's a lot of other people that I knew who are no longer with us in that story. Um, in that story, um, I know you, you celebrate uh, the city of Los Angeles uh, in that building uh, as arena. And, and I'm glad you're talking about the, the spiritual sustenance and the, uh, the building of, of, of pride the build, or, or doing away with the shame. And uh, I want to uh, point out that, that also arena was a place that, that I drew uh, people that would come from faraway places, San Diego, uh, Phoenix, Fresno, Bakersfield, um, uh, 
that a lot of Latinos that would come and find uh, Latinas, Latinas, Latinx, that would come and find a, a, a house, um, a spiritual sustenance that would, and they would come and, and celebrate who they were, Latinidad, Chicanese, we were talking about. It was a broader experience. It was housed in Los Angeles, but it was broader. Can you talk about who were, who were uh, the folks that would be drawn to ARENA and why it's so important uh, in your work to celebrate ARENA House Musical? Um, you know, there was a, a, a slogan our church had, and I think several churches had it. It was, a church alive is worth the drive, right? Um, Amen. And so I think that, that that's what made Circus Disco world famous. That's what made Arena world famous and put it on a world stage where people saw it as a beacon of hope, as uh, you know, a, a place where you could go and celebrate and be celebrated, right? It was a place that had, you know, the the people that the the world had quote unquote rejected could come there and feel accepted. Um, and as a young gay person coming out, that's just really important because, you know, we live in a heterosexual world. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I think it's great. Yeah, gay places are for everyone, but don't forget they're gay places because we as the gay community want to long to be somewhere with our LGBTQ people and who, with no judgment, with no, you know, with no kind of, again, condemnation for who we are. And, you know, if too many straight people start going there, well, then it's just like another straight world that, that starts being created. Um, and we need those spaces that are, are like sanctuaries. They are sanctuaries. They feed us. They, 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 inform us, they embrace us. Um, yes, it's a nightclub, so it's not a utopia. So there was a lot of craziness happening also. Um, there's a lot of alcohol, there's a lot of drugs. And, you know, but I think that's a reflection of, of another form of people trying to find healing, trying to come together trying to um, find something to make him feel good. Just like when you go to church and, you know, growing up apostolic and the music beat is driving and your hands are raised and you're jumping and shouting and, and just letting yourself celebrate your love to God and celebrate another day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you can go to church and you do that and it fulfills some kind of uh, spiritual need that you might have, you know, but again, like I say, you know, a lot of times, a lot of time is spent crying in church and these tears are just over and over and you feel better for the moment, but then you leave and you have to face the world again and those problems and those tears, are they really solving the problems that need to be solved? You know, same thing happens in a nightclub where people come and they might take a hit of ecstasy because it makes them feel wonderful for five hours. And before you know it, instead of dealing with the shame and the trauma that, that, that the world has placed on us as gay people, all we're doing is masking it with something that, that wears away, 
and it wears off. But the beauty about arena is that you could go there and you could meet people that were like you, that looked like you, that celebrated like you. And that person could bring something to your life that would open a doorway for more self-acceptance. One of my best friends that I met at arena at a young age is my friend Ruben, who I thought he was the most amazing gay person I ever met because he was from Baldwin Park like me. He lived a few blocks away from me and he just lived openly gay. And, you know, when, when I was having trouble coming out to my mom, especially, he said, girl, your mom is not a fragile glass. She's survived as a Latina woman in this world who raised nine kids on her own. This is not gonna break her. And it was that and how he lived that and that eventually became a part of me, became a part of my self-acceptance. I accepted myself. I learned how to accept who I am, which was the ultimate acceptance, which is the ultimate acceptance that we all as humans living this human experience need to have. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, the trauma, the abuse also of sex, drugs and alcohol at arena or circus as a nightclub, because we know that sex, drugs and alcohol do not happen at church. Yeah. There's nobody at church struggling with drugs, sex and alcohol. Mm. So how, how do we transcend that? How did Arena Circus, how does your musical uh, transcend uh, that abuse of substance, of, of, of our bodies um, in that temple named Arena, in that, in, that, uh, uh, in that musical as opposed to the church? Because it ain't happening in church, right? Well, you know, there's this interesting point in the musical where, um, where they talk about AIDS. And Lucio has left the church. He's left his family. He still keeps in contact with his mother. And his mother, it's, it's they're burying a friend who's died of AIDS. And his mother and the women's group of the church offer the church dining hall to host the, the comida after the burial. You know, <clears throat> and Lucio's friends who are not apostolic are, are, you know, very thankful, but you know, they're, they're a little like, wow, like, thank you for hosting this. I don't know why you would. It was a gay man who died of AIDS and you guys can't even accept your gay son. And in that conversation, Lucio even discovers something that his mother tells him. He says, mijo, AIDS has affected everyone even our church. Recently, a couple tested positive. And in the past few years, three bishops have lost their sons to AIDS. Something that even Lucio, who is this third generation apostolic, grew up, uh, was born under the pews, grew up in the church. He didn't even understand that. He didn't even know that. You know, <clears throat> in the church, there are people dealing with all kinds of stuff. And um, sometimes the church just becomes a temporary band-aid that washes off. Again, those mm. tears that are shed at the altar are just mm. tears left at the altar. 
because too often in the church, and I see it changing, the church doesn't know how to deal with divorce because in church you're supposed to be wholesome and you, we, and they promote traditional marriage, which is married between a one man and one woman, no divorce. But what happens when the people are getting divorced? You know, in the church, they're, they're, we don't allow gay people, but the choir director that you have up there is obviously gay, but for the purposes of the church, you're letting him minister, but you're not letting him live his life with his partner to their fullness and celebrate that. So, you know, the church is, is full of a lot of this juxtaposition um, and just like a nightclub, you know, in a nightclub, you know, you, there, there are a lot of these band-aids happening. Yes, you can go there and have a cocktail and most people do and have a cocktail and, and some people do drugs and, but some people are really wrapped up in all of that because of the trauma, because of the, and they go to these places and their be temporary band-aids fall off as soon as they walk out because the liquor wears off, the drugs wear off, the sexual uh, partner doesn't happen or it's not exactly what you wanted. Or the Holy Ghost wears off. The Holy Ghost wears off. Um, but again, I keep saying it's, it's those experiences for me personally that I took with me past those doors of arena that were able to influence, heal, for me to find the healing. Um, there's a lyric in, in the opening number that, that we uh, wrote out throughout the play because it's a, it's, it says, arena, something about the feeling, something about the way she makes you move. Arena, something about the healing something about the way she makes you move. It's a very gospel-esque type of lyric um, because it was that, it is that. It, um, it was a sanctuary for many of us. And many of us were, you know, Arena, uh, the lyric says, um, something about the feeling, something about the healing, dancing all night long at Arena. I would like for you to share how the pastoral care the pastoral guidance, the ministerial care was offered and lived at a place like Arena through the drag queens, uh, through the dancers, through the music, through the DJs, mm -hmm. and also the pastoral care of this apostolic world of having that apostolic mother types, those pastors, and looking at a future Pentecostal theological gay uh, ministry, how these folks in the church and how these drag queens and DJs at a place called the Real Musical, how they offer that pastoral guidance based on what you just shared with us about uh, a funeral done in El Comedor of the church uh, where people gather to break bread and have communion there in the Comedor. How does that breaking of, barren, breaking of bread and having communion happen with the drag queens, with the DJs, with the apostolic mothers? Um, towards the future of Pentecostal theology, gay theology? Um, one of the most, one of the important characters in my play that I, I wanted to make sure that we celebrated was the DJ, DJ Irene. The only female resident DJ ever to play at Circus and Arena. And it was her music, it was her music ministry that <laughs> built the house of arena basically. And that's why you went to arena mm -hmm. to hear DJ Irene spin. And this was a, a mujer, a Chicana who- A pastora. A pastora. 
you know, <laughs> that she was breaking down the, the, the plexiglass ceiling, the strobe light <laughs> ceiling, right? The disco ball ceiling. Amen. As a, as a woman, as a mujer. In, Chicana in, as a in lesbiana. A yes. yes a, a Chicana lesbiana in a boys club. Mm -hmm. uh, DJs were very male-centered, very, you know, when you hear the names of DJs, it's usually a man. Mm -hmm. And here was this mujer just forging through, you know, and saying, I will be heard. And we were saying, we hear you. You know, she was putting down the music and we were saying, amen. Hallelujah. Yes. And it was that, those beats, that music that she chose, that she so carefully crafted during that time, that, that gave us, again, it's an artist being a vessel for the divine to give us humanity, give us that human experience, give us what we need through an art form to heal, to feel. And that's what uh, DJ Irene did. And, and she worked her way up to being one of the biggest DJs with the world platform now. One of the most successful DJs of all time. And for a mujer to do that, for a Chicana, a lesbiana to do that is absolutely amazing because it was showing us you can do it. You, you know, it, it's subliminal, but you know, you're seeing a mujer in a DJ booth, which is something you don't see too often, especially playing to a crowd of 4,000 people. It's absolutely amazing. So even that was informing us. There was the drag queens, you know, one of the drag queens that I memorialize it in the show is Miss Martin, because Miss Martin was everything that the world could deem as um, unworthy. Miss Martin was over six feet tall, about 300 pounds, dark-skinned Samoan boy adopted by a Mexican family in Boyle Heights and raised in Boyle Heights. Mm. You know, uh, and here she was the hostess at the largest nightclub in Hollywood, California, and just floating around that stage like a feather. Which, an unlikely vessel, huh? Yes, an unlikely vessel, uh, you know, and here she was just giving that art form of drag life in the way that her performance was so visceral that you felt it. Everyone who went in Salmon's Martin felt those two, three minutes that she was performing, you know, that the Holy Ghost took over. Um, <laughs> you felt it. And it, again, it informs you as a young Latino gay man looking at this and saying everything about her says that she should not be doing what she's doing, but she's doing it and she's radiating life. She's radiating energy and I can feel it which informs you as a, especially, again, I keep saying, because I'm, I'm talking about the play, about my lived experience, of us seeing her, um, it gives us hope. It gives us hope that you can take, and you take that hope with you, and that hope starts becoming a part of you, and that hope starts being ingrained inside of you, and especially at the time when it seemed hopeless against AIDS, against this pandemic epidemic that people weren't talking about, weren't paying attention to, and you were seeing friends of yours die before the age of 30. But it that hope starts resonating in you, and that hope is what eventually leads you to do something and raise your fist and say, you will hear us. You will not discount us. 
You will not discount me. You will not push me to the side. And if that means that I still want to have a spiritual experience at this church, then I'm going to have a spiritual because you will no longer take hope away from me. Amen. Tell us about that other archetype. Uh, you talked. You told us about um, DJ Arena Zapastora, uh, Miss Martin as uh, her healing ministry. Tell us about that apostolic mother woman and your musical. How does the apostolic mother? Um, bring us hope and give us hope towards the future of, of gay apostolic Pentecostal uh, theology. Um, the mothers of the church, as we all know, have been who, who really, you know, have propelled the church, have, you know, supported the church, have brought the money into the church. <laughs> and Amen. many times told the men how to spend that money for the church. Well, they build it with tamales, one tamale at a time. One tamale at a time. And Orfa Torres in my play, she is the, the pastor's wife and she's Lucio's mother. And what we're seeing, you know, there's just these little things that I wrote in there where, where she's doing, you know, her husband's taxes. She's doing his scheduling. She's doing, you know, collecting all the receipts to make sure that they're in compliance with everything you know she is a mujer who is holding up the church and she's also a mujer who wants to hold up her family that is going through this uh this moment where her son is coming out which means that her son has to leave the church because his father is, has preached that homosexuality is an abomination. And how are they gonna turn their eye to that and be hypocrites, you know? And she's, but she still knows that she wants to keep her family unit together. You know, she says in, in, in a, a song that I wrote for her um, called Love Unconditional, she's, she says, you know, if I have faith, if I have hope, will it all come up empty without love? And that informs her to, to be the, the person who says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're, this is my family and nothing, nothing will ever change. She literally says, yo soy una leona, a mis hijos no me los toquen. I am a lioness. Do not touch my kids. Amen. And she, she is that person. She is that mother, that, that, that type and figure of, of, of La Virgen, who is there to embrace everyone, who is there. You know, she's the, the Madonna. She's the mother of, of the Christ, right? Who, who bore Yes. Savior of the world. Of course, she's going to be accepting and loving to all those that would like to come to him. Right. Amen. And yes, I, I specifically wrote Orfa as that, that she, but it's something she has to learn mm -hmm. that she's had to learn. Again, her life as an apostolic mujer has informed her, but also her life as a mother, a person who gave birth to life 
she is the one and that's why i think mujeres in the church are just so essential in which a mujer like dj irene is so essential because because they know mujeres know love in a way that that is just completely unconditional Powerful, very powerful. Uh, the role of women, the role of uh, women as healers, nurturers, providers, defenders, fierce advocates. Uh, and they are so beautifully portrayed in Arena House Musical. Uh, I want to say uh, thank you so much for, for uh, being joining us here uh, today. And uh, I'm not sure if you want to share any closing words uh, to our audience who are watching. We are watched by, by a lot of uh, theologians, doctors, professors, but also youth that are forming their ministry or youth that are in the church. Uh, what would you tell that young Lucy? What would you tell yourself when you were 17? Um, I would say, especially to the young people who are the artists in your church, um, celebrate them, no matter who they are. Um, the young people who are in your church, who are, who have been, um, their care, their spiritual care has been put into your hands. Celebrate them. Celebrate who they are. Don't condemn who they are. Celebrate them. Because if, if, if you condemn them for who they are, the person that they are, that they were divinely created to be, you're going to lose them. And sometimes things work out good, but sometimes they don't. And that's what, that's what I would say to young people, you know, in the church who, who, who may feel pushed aside, who may feel that, that, you know, the God that they've heard about, the loving God that they've heard about, that, that, that God's love stops at their sexuality, at their sexual orientation. Um, that's not true. God created us. God loved us. He never said, I, I will love you unless. And, and, and hold on to that. And, um, and if you're an artist, write about it, paint about it. <laughs> Do something that the, the divine has given you as a, as a medium to express yourself. Because when you express yourself, you become that vessel of the divine to heal someone, to give someone the ability to feel, to give someone the, um, the audacity to hope, right? Um, as an artist, yeah, you're, 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 you're divinely inspired. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on HTI Open Plaza. Glad to be your host, Felipe Agredano, and I'm really glad to talk today to Abel Alvarado, uh, the lyricist, uh, author, playwright of Arena House Musical. Gracias. Thank you. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own.
Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.